everybody to the Five Elements <laughs> podcast. This is our second time trying to say welcome because I fucked it up. So <laughs> back with my radio voice. Welcome to the Five Elements podcast. Uh. Today we're going to be doing our first Q&A segment where you give us some questions and we try to provide the best answers that we can. Oh, God. But we're going to start with roses and thorns as per usual. You're going first. What do you mean? Don't just throw me on the spot like that. You're going first. All right. So do I, do I go with roses first or thorns? Up to you. Uh, you know what? I'll start with roses. Okay. Okay. Then you're going to hate this rose. Great. I've been in a bad place lately. <laughs> been, been down. Been <laughs> defeated. And you know what? I uh, We watched Ted Lasso yesterday. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and that show always puts me in a good mood and helps me change my perspective a little bit. And things aren't as bad as they seem. I'm just being trapped in moments that are bad and extrapolating those moments out to being my entire existence, which I am known to do. So yesterday was a little bit nice in that sense because we so we've been watching Sons of Anarchy, which is just really gory and murdery and dark. And we watched we pounded it and it's like 100 hours of content. So then to watch some Ted Lasso, it was nice to get a refresher on how good the world can be. Wonderful. That's my rose. You go. So you go with your rose now. No, you go rose then thorn and then I go rose then thorn. Okay. Also second rose, I'm squatting heavy again and that feels awesome. Thorns, been feeling a little bit defeated lately. Just uh, kind of in general trying to, you know, this entrepreneurship's hard and (laughs) this like it's a little bit lonelier than I had originally anticipated. Lacking a little bit of sense of community, but some changes are going on in our business life and personal life right now that might be better. So this is a little bit of a rosy thorn. But in general, it's been something I've been really struggling with lately, feeling like I have no sense of community or like less than I ever have, kind of being out on my own, feeling the stakes are higher than they've ever been. And that's been a lot more challenging than I let on in my daily life until it starts to consume me. So that's been the the major thorn. But Sam and I had a really good talk last night talking about how we can get out of this rut, which we're both in, but I really feel trapped in it. Why are you laughing? Oh, we went there. I, I don't know. It's weird in a podcast because you and I are just beside. It just feels like we're talking. Yeah, I see that. Whatever. Let people know how dark it can get. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Thorn. My hip feels crummy. Yeah. And it's not allowing me to squat the way that I want to be squatting. It made me feel a little defeated. I don't like feeling limited by my body. And I realize that this is the result of my neglectful behavior when it comes to my own mobility and stretching and all the good stuff. So better get back on that. And then Rose, I'm leaning into change. I'm leaning into discomfort. It sucks. It's horrible. It's uncomfortable. But I don't know. It It feels like it comes from a better place when you acknowledge and sort of honor the discomfort and go, it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but I'm still going to do it. And like leaning into that feeling means like feeling it and doing it anyway. Yeah. So lots of changes, but they feel positive in a way. Yeah, there's there's some positive stuff going on. I actually uh, saw something on Instagram which had me reframe a thought which I love. And it was along the lines of like, maybe you're actually not miserable. Maybe you're content, but you want more. Yeah. And that's a lot. That's that hits. I know. Right. Because I don't know that my discontent is as big as it feels in a way. Yeah. Like the rut that you say we're in. 
I feel like that is almost born of the desire of wanting more. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful thing. That's true. So I'm trying to like lean into the good feelings, even though they come along with a lot of shitty ones. I mean, I think so at our like foundational levels, I'm probably a little bit more optimistic and you're pessimistic. For sure. So that was a really nice way of me saying that. But the yesterday. Did you just congratulate yourself for being nice? I, I did, actually. That's <laughs> POS behavior. <laughs> um, so yesterday, Sam was the positive one. <sighs> and it was nice. Like she was really like she picked me up when I was feeling overwhelmed and shitty. And, you know, that was nice. So I, I can give val- validity, not that you need to be validated, to you saying, like, I've, I've noticed you're leaning into change. Yeah. It's terrifying. Like growth is actually terrifying. And one of the most interesting concepts I've ever come across was the concept of growth feeling a lot like death. And that sounds insane, but it can feel like a little piece of you is dying when you're experiencing so much change and so much growth. And there's like a layer of grief in that because it's so scary. I've been growing. I feel like nonstop at a rapid rate for like two years and I'm so done with it. So like for context, before the pandemic, I got a promotion, which consumed me. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic happened, which was like spiraling out of control. And then it was like, hey, you're going to do your own thing, which you never wanted to do, but you're going to do your own thing. Yeah. And then it was that. And then it was we are training clients at our condo, (laughs) which we basically built a whole gym in our condo. And then we went to another space, moved all that over there. And then we started online and then we did this and then we did that. And And then we moved. Yeah. uh, So, yeah, I crave a little bit of like stability, but also that a lot of the growth has been amazing, but it's felt consuming at times. And there's a lot of grief in it because 18 months ago, I don't even recognize myself or my life. Yeah. That's a product of growth, but it's also kind of terrifying. It's weird because it's like grief and gratitude holding hands. Yeah. I'm so grateful for all the things that I have and for all of the struggles that I've been through because they've made me who I am. Yeah. But there's still a layer of grief in that. And sometimes it can be a little heavy and sometimes it can be the fire under your ass to move you forward. Absolutely. So Q&A. So we put this on our Instagram. (laughs) We both did asking if you guys want to ask some questions so that we can go and do a deeper dive. We do it on our Instagram stories sometimes, but it's very short. It's very brief. The podcasting platform allows us to really get into it, hammer down one question. So uh, I think we got four to get to today. First question is from Zoska. Hey, Zoska. She asks, top tips for someone who is a beginner at counting macros. Interesting. Okay, where would you start? So you and I come at from this from different angles. Very much. I'm a calories and protein guy. Mm-hmm. Sammy B is a macros gal. Absolutely. I don't think either one is better than the other. I think they hold places for different people at different times. Mm-hmm. If you're a true beginner at tracking... Fully tracking macros might not be as needed as compared to just understanding macros. And the reason why I say that is commitment to a macro target can have less flexibility than here's my calorie range and here's what I'm going for protein wise and then I'll fill in the gaps with preferences. You can still do a calorie range with counting macros. The idea is, especially for beginners, to really like get a grasp of pre-planning your meals. I actually think that that's tip number one. Like plan it all out the night before. Yeah. Um, Because kind of counting your macros on the go can lead to being like, oh my God, I'm so frustrated. I have too much of this or too little of this and I can never seem to line them up. So if you plan it out beforehand, it kind of 
gives you an opportunity to toy around with the numbers, with the foods you like, to figure out what quantities and what ratios you would need in order to achieve compliance. And the goal is to never be perfectly compliant. Yeah. But if you give yourself a range and you're somewhere within that, that's beautiful. Yeah. Especially when it comes from like the perspective of protein. We do want to see you hit a minimum target. And also with fats, unfortunately, there is a minimum threshold that you should meet. And from there, you can kind of play with it. Understanding protein is probably the first place you got to go. Because every client I've ever had track calories who hadn't thinks they eat a lot of protein and they don't. Yeah. And they also think that they're either eating lower carb or not eating as like you, there's just a discrepancy between reality yeah. and what they think. Yeah. Especially with fat. So a lot of people don't realize foods. how much fat they're actually eating. So they'll conflate a lot of their protein with fat. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I mean, I Sam and I eat chicken breast most dinners. Mm-hmm. Chicken breast is not that delicious. It's good. But I mean, a steak is going to be a combination of fat and protein. And it's very easy to be like, oh, I ate, a, I ate a steak. I eat tons of protein. And I'm like, how lean was that steak? It might just be a lot more fat than you realize. And then you'll have it with butter or you'll have foods that are oiled up and you don't realize how much fat is actually going into your foods. Mm-hmm. Not that that's bad, but that can take up more calories than you actually realize. I mean, I like looking at macros from the perspective of education because it will definitely teach you the composition of the foods that you're eating. And I find very often in what Dylan just referenced and especially with hyperpalatable foods, a lot of people will think like, oh my God, that beautiful pizza, that's got to be all carbs. And it's like, no, not really. Or that delicious chocolate chip cookie. No, not really. Like it's that wonderful combination of carbs and fat that keeps you wanting more. Yeah. So... It'll also teach you about portion size because I think often our eyes, depending on how hungry we're feeling, will tell us a very different story. And a lot of the time, you know, you'll read the label on the back of a bag of, let's say, chips or almonds or something like that. And we're like, okay, so 28 grams, that's got to be like a handful. But a handful today might be different than the handful you eat tomorrow because today you are famished and tomorrow you're like, I'm okay. I'm not yeah. that hungry. Your hunger levels can really gauge and uh, like manipulate your perception yes. and then have you in taking more on certain days than others. And that's why a food scale can be so useful. Yes. You don't always have to use a food scale, but I do highly recommend it. The less you understand about portion sizes and macros and calories and all that stuff, because the food scale will really be a good teacher in, in letting you know oh shit, there's that much calories in this. Or I thought this was more protein or I didn't realize how much fat was in this food or carbohydrate or whatever can really educate you and give you a good sample size of what calorie intakes and macro breakdowns are in certain foods. So I would definitely suggest using a scale for a period of time to get familiarized with macros. So like top down, obviously you start with your macros. So if you're doing them on your own, you're going to have to go through the process of trial and error to figure out what works for you depending on your goals. So first thing is obviously getting your macro target. That'll roughly take you a few weeks, to be honest. Like trial and error is not an overnight process. Second tip is definitely getting food scale for accuracy. And because weighing things out will teach you a lot more than using like cups and tablespoons, it gets, again, we can mess those up very easily. A food scale is accurate and it'll teach you portion size a little bit better. And then from there, I would say plan ahead. Yeah. So if you use an app, 
Um, Sam and I use Macro Factor. Yeah. You can use, which is a paid one. It's really mm-hmm. good. But if you, if you just want to go with the free stuff, my fitness pal and chronometer works. I don't know how chronometer works, but I know in I my fitness pal, you can just make meals ahead of time. I feel like you probably can in chronometer too. Make meals ahead of time. And like most of us have similar breakfasts and lunch and dinner where a lot of variety is and have the meals saved in your library. So it's like, oh, breakfast is Greek yogurt. X grams of Greek yogurt, X grams of X, Y, and Z. Put that in the app and then get really familiarized by using the scale of what that mm-hmm. looks like. After a period of time, I eyeball my Greek yogurt now mm-hmm. and my oats because I know what they look like. I don't trust myself to eyeball hyper palatable foods that Sam was mentioning. Like I'm never going to eyeball chips. Yeah. I don't trust myself because I just love chips. So I'm going to put that in a bowl and try to portion it out. Yeah. And like eyeballing will be different for everybody. Like typically when I eyeball things, I do too little. Typically when you eyeball things, you do too much. So it can really be helpful depending on your habits, your behaviors. And it's never a long-term process. Like you should not be tracking macros for the rest of your life. You should pick it up and put it down at different points throughout the year, depending on what your goals are. So in summary, start with protein, right? So understand what protein is and how much you need. That's that's a huge component of this because that's where most people are going to mess up their macros. Most mm-hmm. people are not going to be like, oh, I eat too much protein and not enough carbs. Like that's mm-hmm. less likely. Getting a food scale, as Sam had mentioned, preparing ahead of time. Mm-hmm. That was a huge one. Yeah. Those are the basics you'd want to get down first. So question two is from our friend Rosanna. Shout out Rosanna. Hi, Rosanna. Um, she asks, <laughs> how did you guys meet oh, no. and who approached who first? <laughs> Sammy, I want you to take this. No. Why? Because we both have a completely different take on this. So I want your take and then I'm going to come in with the truth bombs after. No, you're not going to like the way I tell it. Well, you have to. I'm not going to tell it. We'll both tell our versions. Dylan and I were co-workers. Oh, okay. At Equinox. He actually really didn't like me when he first met me. I didn't actually. Yeah. And then we slowly... I didn't hate you. I didn't dislike you. I was neutral. No, you didn't like me. So <laughs> Neutral to leaning to not like. Yes. So... <laughs> <laughs> let's go over that eight more times fun we slowly became friends and we ended up going out together one night and i guess we just got a little too close we made out at a bar and then i don't know we just went from there that's how you're gonna tell our story <laughs> for sure See, this is why you can't be trusted. But I told you to not trust me. Like, I I pre-warned you. We've been together for two years. Yeah, but that's how it started. And you're still, like, misrepresenting how how it began. How is that a misrepresentation? It's just like... It's it's like the cliff notes. It's not even... It's like a cliff note. Yeah. You can't even say it's the cliff notes. It's a cliff note. Like, there was cue cards. It would just be one card with one dash. Yeah. That's not. We the made story out at a bar. Okay. That's exactly how I tell it to everyone. So for all you romantics out here, let me tell you <laughs> the beautiful story about how Sammy B and I came to be an uh, item, as they say. I don't know who says that. Um, the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam's right. Uh, we were employees, or we were, we were coworkers, and I was neutral to. We're gonna do this again. I see that. I see that. I was neutral. We really to, didn't to, like her. To leaning slightly not to. I wasn't a huge fan. Let's just say that. So, with that oh being God. said, I was seeing someone, and you know, it was going good. And then Sam and I, she was genuinely a friend, and I actually went to her with some of my relationship problems and just kind of general 
like dating shit. And we went out to a bar one night. It was my friend Richard's birthday. Him and I left. And then on the as I was leaving, I was kind of mad because Sam came with us and then she left and then she went somewhere else and she didn't really tell me. I was like, dude, you just bailed on us. We prayed together. We were hanging out like we're all friends, etc. It was my buddy's birthday. And then I was just kind of in a bad mood. I was walking home from the bar and she texted me. And this was a vulnerable thing she did because at this point we were just friends and she was like, come to me. That's a different night. Oh, that's a different night. You are insane. But this is how it really, this is after we made out Fine, fine. But this was like the thing that made us mm-hmm. a thing. I said, come how, to me. How, how poetic. She texted me saying, come to me. And before at that point, we had just been friends who made out drunk. Yeah. But that was more like, hey, I want to see you kind of thing, which you don't really say to a friend only like, come to me or like, I want to see you. It'd be like, hey, let's hang out. Like, where are you at? Kind of thing. And I was like, <laughs> actually, I was, I was it's very drunk. Shakespearean. Good True. for me. I was drunk and a little petty. And I go, I remember said, I said, I'll drop a pin right now and you'll send an Uber to my exact location or I'm not coming to you. And then she did. I was like, let's see how, let's see if she actually wants me to come to her. Cause I, she had bailed. So I was like, I don't know. Maybe she's playing games. Maybe not. But she was, she was serious. She sent an Uber. I went over to a bar, meet her. And then we danced, made out. And I, at that point I was like, oh, this is like, this is something serious. And then, so then when we were, it was legit, became a thing in my mind where I was like, I can't unsee it. I can't unfeel it. So now I feel it. And I couldn't just, before I could pass it off, I was like, hey, we just got drunk and you know, I'm attracted to her, but we're friends. Past that point, I was at work that week and I couldn't even look at her. And I was like, you have to say something. You have to say something. You have to say I something. I was very worried about your mental health and that you week. You <laughs> were worried about my, you were like, what is wrong with this dude? He's For neurotic sure. and he can't figure his shit out. So then I just built up and I've explained this to Sam. Like sometimes it doesn't feel like a choice you made. It The, the driving force was so strong. I just did it. Mm-hmm. I went up to her and I was like, hey, let's go grab lunch in the uh, com- in Commerce Court which is just like downtown Toronto. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Like she probably thought we were just grabbing lunch. Mm -hmm. Went downstairs, ordered some food, and we're sitting there. And it was one of those conversations where this might relate to a lot of people where you're in a conversation with someone and you have one thing on your mind and you have to build up courage to ask it. And they're talking to you and you're glazed over. You're not even in the conversation. Your eyes were like ice rings. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just waiting for the opportunity. Like when can I put this dagger in that I have to say? And then I remember I just, I was like, okay, like is there something going on between us? I think Sam actually shat her pants Mm -hmm. and she was like, yeah, there is. And I was like, okay, so like, let's go on a date or something. I don't know what I said specifically, but like I said, let's hang out. We went and saw the Joker, I think two days later. And that was all she wrote. Yeah. And then you moved in. (laughs) And then we dated for like two weeks before I moved in and then COVID happened. And then we. Oh, yeah. Just. Yeah. Now. Now we're here. Betrothed. So you'll see, you can tell my story puts a lot more meat to it. Sam's was more like we got drunk in a bar and made it. That's psychotic. What? Like, oh, ridiculous. You didn't share how you were feeling. You didn't oh share what was going God. on your mind. Because you asked like the initial point of us like meeting and starting a thing. And it was us making out at a bar. <laughs> and I maintain that. No, but w- we th- were coworkers. So it- we went out. <laughs> There was alcohol and you just looked at me the wrong way. And then we made out at a bar. Oh, that and is, that's literally how it started. That was and a gross from there, oversimplification. For sure. But like people didn't ask for all of the context and nuance and childhood but that's trauma that led to that <laughs> moment. No, that is what when I so when Rosanna said, How did we meet? So my interpretation of the word we there is like you and I. Yeah. And if yeah. I were alone, you want to know how I would have answered that? We met at work. Yeah. Simple. Oh, so gutless. Oh, so. yeah. 
Who approached you first? I guess I. she approached me at the bar. I approached her for reals. I did not approach you at the bar. Like, we can't stop arguing about this two years <laughs> yeah, later. I, <laughs> we oh, talked, my God. I was dancing in, a, in an opportune position, but you made the move over to me. You just, just like, gently touched me? No, no, no. Yeah, you no, did. No, no. I yeah, was just, you did. I was in the right place at the right time. For sure. And I was doing the math. I was like, you know what? If it's going to happen, I'll be in the, this is the place I'll need to be for it to happen. And then you just kind of migrated over and then we started dancing. So ladies, big takeaway. If you think that <laughs> the guy that you meet doesn't like you, get ready. You're going to move in with him in two weeks. That's, that's, that's where true. we're going. That's very, there's yeah. very, that could definitely happen. Another thing is for anyone out there who is who doesn't want to make a move but wants an outcome, just put yourself in the right <laughs> position. What an opportunist. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's just like right place, right time, maybe. No, I don't know. Like sometimes you meet someone and it smacks you right in the face. And that's kind of what happened. Like when we truly when, met, not when yeah, we like shook hands at no. work, like when we actually went out to the beer fest. When you meet the right person and people say like, you just kind of know, we both just kind of knew very quickly and like. Yeah, it was, it was very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Shine. Um, okay. So next, mm -hmm. Emma asks, shout out Emma. Emma always asks great questions. Can you live in maintenance or do you need structured cuts slash bulks to keep your muscle? Oh my God. Live at maintenance. The Sammy's passion. I this. love maintenance. Maintenance is the most underrated place on the planet. It's beautiful. And like, <laughs> if you, it just it's not is. a fucking mountain in Alberta. I love me because I wish more women <laughs> ate their maintenance calories. Yeah. I mean, 1200 calories is not enough for a baby like it's not enough for a small child and yet there are women who constantly are like inching closer and closer to that number flirting with it at various points throughout the year you would be so much better off living at maintenance than like in the flux and flow of a diet or a cut yeah so sammy's spot on there because a lot of people overvalue the bulking and cutting cycle and there is value in it at certain times and for certain people but not as much as we think so for example if you're brand new to strength training unless you're like really trying to cut a lot of weight or if you're really underweight and you're trying to put on mass you don't need to really tweak your calories excessively mm -hmm. you'd get a lot of benefit from just like six months of eating enough protein and strength training mm -hmm. like you could get some pretty amazing results doing that and like gaining muscle is not contingent on being in a caloric surplus you'll typically build a little bit more muscle in a caloric surplus but mm -hmm. that does come with more fat too mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't want that so there's not many people out there who are like hey i'm just looking to pack on mass i don't care how it comes i want fat i want muscle if you want muscle you're going for like slow mm -hmm. and sustainable and like maintenance or slightly above maintenance is probably the place to go for that. Yeah, and like not to be very defeating, but like the rate of muscle gain in women is phenomenally slow. It really is. It's slower than it is for a man, even though for men it is painfully slow too. But the rate at which you would gain body fat it, when you do like a traditional bulk doesn't necessarily yield extra muscle mass sometimes like if you're trying to rush the process by just like training really hard and eating in a significant caloric surplus sometimes you might end up just putting on more body fat yeah. than 
the muscle you'd intended to build because it is phenomenally slow. So most people would be better off hovering around maintenance or bumping their calories up into a very gentle surplus rather than like getting to the end of a surplus and having to diet down to a comfortable weight for like four to six months after that. Yeah. Potentially losing the muscle mass that they just built or to realize that they didn't gain as much muscle as they'd hope. Yeah. And it doesn't look the way a lot of people think it does. So for me, I'm way more muscular than I was around a year ago. Maybe the year and a half ago. Yeah. When I did my cut. I don't look that much more muscular with my shirt off because I'm, I have a lot more body fat. I'm thicker and mm-hmm. I have way more muscle and I'm stronger, but I also gained body fat with that. So I don't look yeah. as muscular. I look like bulkier because I put mm-hmm. on fat and muscle. Um, if I would have stopped my bulk, I, I wasn't even bulk. I was just being mm-hmm. an asshole and training really hard. Yeah. If I were to stop that 10 pounds ago, I'd probably actually look a little bit more muscular because I'd be leaner. And that's a huge component Maybe. of Maybe. And I mean... Uh, The traditional bulk and cut model is just a little bit more like it comes from the physique world, right? Like it comes from bikini competitors and they have coaches who are helping them do this. It's something that they have to do for their sport that they've chosen to undertake and compete in. Like that's their arena. You know what I mean? Like, well, they work in seasons, right? So you have to do that. It's in within their arena for the average person to like put on 10 pounds of fat or 15, 20 and then have to like diet down and lose it. Like I worry about the impact it might have on your mindset, your body, like slow progress is probably the best progress. Yeah. Because like to touch on Sam's point there, they work within seasons, meaning mm-hmm. they need to put on as much muscle mass and, and then get as lean as possible within one, mm-hmm. one season. So if you want to gain the most amount of muscle humanly possible in a year, mm-hmm. you'll have to be in a caloric surplus. Yeah. But then you have to have to diet. And the way that physique competitors diet is not how you or I no, want to fucking diet. Not even They close. do it for their sport. And each year you just rinse and repeat that. Mm-hmm. And eventually, for like, if you're trying to go for mass, you're building on more muscle per year, but it's slow. But even some of like the top people in the world, like when I think of Hattie Boydell, she yeah. doesn't go into like too, too big of a surplus. She's not like big physique though. She's more, what is she? bikini something i don't know either way like she can't afford to have put on the rate of fucking can't outweigh the ratio of muscle gain do you know what i mean so it's just it's it's really hard on your body too in all honesty like there's a big difference between like eating at maintenance and focusing on your training or eating in like a very gentle surplus and just like working towards like that progress, not necessarily in your physique, but in your program, because that's really what will yield like great adaptation. Yeah, 100%. Um, and seeing it as like playing the long game rather than trying to rush the process, because usually when you try to rush the process, that's what you see, like people who dirty bulk and put on way more weight than they intended because they're like, it's a free for all. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. Another thing, if you're feeling you're stalling at maintenance, mm-hmm. or you're like, oh, I'm not really putting on as much muscle mass. I what I would go to first is assess your training. Mm-hmm. So sure. like in like body recomposition, which we're all aware of, or if you're not, mm-hmm. it's when you build muscle while losing fat. Um, there was like a really there was a really cool paper done by Chris Barricat over like, like in the last year where they actually did body weight recomposition with advanced trainees. So mm-hmm. some of them were actually with physique competitors I know. who showed body recomposition, meaning they built fat, they built muscle and lost fat within like six to eight week periods. Yeah. 
But one thing, one key caveat, they were in a training study, which is intense. And they're like, I've never trained this hard. And these are physique people. So they kept their calories the same, but they increased their protein a little bit and they trained really hard. And they still noticed significant results. Most people listening, Sam and I included, are not in that category of like advanced. Mm -hmm. So my takeaway from there is most of us, we'd probably be better off keeping calories where they are, maybe upping protein a little bit, Mm -hmm. maybe going into a slight surplus and then being like, hey, what can we do to make sure our training is fucking sick? Mm-hmm. I'd go there first before I'd just pack on extra calories yeah. with the risk of putting on more body fat than I'd want. And it's honestly like when I see the impact that that mindset and the constant flu- like weight fluctuation um, and putting on so much body fat that like you need a whole other wardrobe and then losing it all and then <laughs> yeah. kind of gaining like the body dysmorphia that comes along with that because now you're like I've been down to like 10% body fat as a woman and I can't handle seeing like anything more than yeah. like a tiny pinch of skin. So I feel like the repercussions on one's mental health are so significant that I cannot justify passing that on to the average person. It is not the average process. It is not for the faint of heart. There are significant consequences that come with that physique competitor mentality. And a lot of them are very aware of it going into it. And they're okay in undertaking those consequences. And some people have no idea. Who would you say should do a bulk? Uh, somebody who's underweight, maybe. Yep. Anyone who would fall into the I'm uncomfortable with how skinny I am category. And again, that would be a gentle surplus. Like yeah. I'm not going to encourage, like it's a really hard thing to sell the average client. And I see so many coaches do this, um, convince their female clients to go on a full on bulk. And they admit that like they are holding their hands while they while their clients are crying like it's that bad because their clients are like I have the worst body dysmorphia none of my clothes fit me this feels terrible and da 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 and it's like perhaps if we had gone more moderately more conservatively and a little bit slower you wouldn't see the dramatic change in your physique that you'll be seeing at the end of that road but like it's okay if it takes a little longer yeah like it's about learning to enjoy the process and it can be hard to enjoy the process when you are push to a point that makes you that uncomfortable. Like we all have a threshold. Yeah. Because the repercussions of it can be really annoying. Like you pack on an extra 10 pounds of fat and you're, and you're thinking, I want to take, I want to cut this off. You can do it. We can all do it. It's just, fuck, I made, did you have to do that? Like, was it worth it? If you would have just went in a smaller surplus or maintenance and done the same thing, maybe gaining 10 pounds of fat cost gaining came with like three pounds of muscle maybe you could have gained two pounds of muscle and like two pounds of fat that's a way better ratio definitely and like it'll probably if you're looking for aesthetics that's probably what you're looking for anyways for sure the latter not the former was the last question about body recomp or was that no we got one more after this okay yeah so we're done with that topic i think so yeah okay we're good aaron asks signs you're overtraining slash training too hard okay where do you want to start where would I start? The first place I would go to is, I think I know where Sam's going to go with this. Um, <laughs> you place, know right away. The first place I would go to that this is assessing your progress and the outcomes of your training. And what I mean by that is if you're training hard each week, you're getting enough sleep, you're not so stressed that you're like, fuck, that's going to be a gains killer. And you're eating enough protein, et cetera, and you're not making any progress. You might want to look at if you're training too hard or if you're overtraining. Yeah. And what I mean by that is there is a point of diminishing returns when it comes to your training volume, but then there's also a point of negative returns, mm-hmm. which is called overreaching. So you train harder and accumulate so much fatigue mm-hmm. 
that you can't even recover from it adequately and it hurts your performance. Yeah. So anyone who's familiar with like tapering or like if they've ever been, which most people haven't, but the idea of it is you peak to towards your performance. So if you're a powerlifter, you're going, you don't want to peak until you're on stage. If you're any athlete, you want to peak. Mm-hmm. And that usually comes with tapering your volume over the subsequent weeks before, you're tr- before you, you perform so that you're at your strongest because your fatigue will come down faster than your actual strength will. Mm-hmm. If you train too hard, you will get weaker while doing more volume. And you're like, I'm training so hard. I'm doing everything. I'm putting in way more effort than anyone else. And it's like, well, you might be putting in too much for you to actually to adapt to. And that's a spot that more people get to than, than I think maybe realize. And it's a, probably a mix of doing too much and not recovering enough. Mm-hmm. So you'd be probably better off to shave your volume and make that volume a little bit more effective. That's where I'd go to first. Secondly is if you just fucking hate training. If you're like, I don't want to go. I've been that place too. If you're like, I can't even look at a barbell. I can't look at a dumbbell. I don't got that juice at all. Then you might want to look at, hey, is my training volume appropriate compared to like what I can actually do? Mm -hmm. Definitely. The moment you start to resent the gym, you've met your match. (laughs) If you get the resentees. Oh, yeah. yeah, You don't want to get the resentees. Yeah. Okay, so one sign of overtraining can be amenorrhea or the loss of your period. And that usually is holding hands with REDS. So REDS stands for Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. And basically, it kind of has to do with the overtraining, under eating, low energy availability cycle. You well, say things. You want me to touch on it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're not eating enough and you're doing too much and you're training too hard, which... A lot of people, I think a lot of how a lot of people train too hard is actually by acquiring too much junk volume. For sure. Rather than like just being an animal and going RPE 10 everything. Like, and what I mean by that is like true failure on every set. Most people don't do that. What most people do to overtrain is they do way too many exercises for too many sets. And yes. you're just accumulating more volume than you need. And you do it on low calories. Yes. So if you're dieting, that can also be. And we talked about physiques at sports a little bit. Reds will just come with that when you're getting on stage. Definitely. If you're not in that space, do not attempt that. You don't want to get to a point when you're, if you're, if you menstruate, you do not want to lose your menstrual cycle. Well, the problem is when we go into a place of low energy availability, one of the first things to be affected are sex hormones. And that includes men just as much as women. The difference being that we have a biomarker to look out for. Whereas for you, by the time like a man will notice the impact of low energy availability, it'll sort of be like loss of libido. um, No morning wood. I don't know how else to say that. What is the like, is there a, a clinical term? No morning wood. Yeah. You got no, yeah, no morning wood. That's not a good sign. Yeah. So for women, it's usually either an irregular period, two or three, or a missing period. And basically, once you start dieting, if you actually do get your hormones tested via blood work, you can see that the longer you stay on the diet, the more your testosterone, your estrogen, your progesterone might deplete. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this wonderful mess where like, a few other hormones will be affected for sure. Like, again, this is we need to look at exercise and movement as a form of stress on your body. So let's say you're stressed about work. You're stressed out from moving a lot. You're stressed out from not eating enough. It can kind of create 
this really negative little place for your body to be in where it's hyper stressed. So it can also lead to not sleeping as well. Yeah, that's actually a good sign. Yeah. So that feeling when you're like laying in bed at night and you're exhausted, but you're also wired can kind of be a side effect and symptom of low energy availability or overtraining. And it's confusing because you're like, I've been training so hard. I should, I'm tired. I should be able to sleep. And these are like well-documented with like physique athletes because they just start, this is just the normal cycle when they're getting close to on stage. Like I can't sleep. Uh, I'm tired all the time. Zero sex drive. Mm -hmm. If you menstruate, you'll lose your cycle. There's all these things that kind of come. Well, I mean, your body literally goes into conservation mode and little things like right now, as I'm sitting here, I'm like scratching my leg, playing with my ring. I'm like tapping my toes. I'm fidgeting because I'm like, I'm well-fed and I'm fidgety. Yeah, well, it's neat. Yeah, so that's what I'm just describing your neat levels. So kind of like all of the, I'm talking with my hands as I say this, (laughs) kind of the, all of the unplanned little movements that your body makes in a given day. Um, So accumulating your daily steps, but not intentionally going for a walk that can contribute towards your need. Yeah. And all of the fidgeting that you do, the talking with your hands, uh, housework, little things like that. You'll notice when you are overtrained, underfed, or in that low energy availability cycle, that your neat will plummet. Like yeah. contest prep um, competitors will literally like blink slower. Yeah. They will feel their brain not work to the same capacity as it used to. Like your body is in this state where it's trying to conserve as much energy as humanly possible because there's a major imbalance going on. Yeah. Well, we think about body fat loss as from an aesthetic component or potentially from a health component. Um, So I go, we're going to eat less calories. If your brain just sees, hey, like you're depleting my energy stores, right? And to a certain point, your brain is not going to want that. Like getting stage lean or getting super lean or leaner than you probably should. Yeah. Your brain is now sensing some sort of danger and like not enough energy available, hence the term energy availability. So it's going to be like, yeah, you, you don't need to have sex right now. You need yeah. to go get some food. You don't need, you can't birth a child because you, you shouldn't be mm-hmm. menstruating because you don't have enough food for you. There's no way you can support a growing and like, baby. Your brain doesn't need to think clearly. It yeah. can live in a state of brain fog because yeah. it's more focused on sending the nutrition that you have available or the calories you have available to your internal organs to yeah. keep all the lights on. So it doesn't really need to operate at like max capacity for you to sound intelligent in a work meeting. <laughs> 100%. So for summary there, if you're training as hard and it's getting weaker, that's a really bad sign. Mm-hmm. If you are starting to loathe the gym or just anything fitness related, like I can't even, I don't got the juice for it. That's also a bad mm-hmm. sign. And I think that's the clinical term, like not having the juice for it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and as Sammy mentioned, reds. So if you're experiencing any of the symptoms we talked about there. Uh, any impact on your menstrual cycle, yeah. really. Not being able to sleep while still being active. Yes. Um, and the final thing I want to touch on there with appropriate volumes. Mm-hmm. That's very specific to your current life situation. Yes. Because some people will think, I'm only training four days a week. I used to be able to train five or six. And I'm like, but did you have kids? Did you have a job? Were you stressed by everything else Were in Were you in the middle of a divorce? Or a pandemic? <laughs> like, were you in the middle of moving your home? Yeah. So like, it's always Were you specific. taking care of a sick parent? Like, come on. Stress is stress is stress is stress yeah. is stress. It's one of the reasons why a lot of like 20-year-olds 
when you're like, oh, when I was 20, I could do everything. I'm like, yeah, but how much other, how much external stress did you have that was like really all or nothing, all stakes at play? Not nearly as much when you're an adult with other responsibilities, especially if you have kids or a family who is uh, beholden to you. Yeah. So that's what, that's the one thing to remember because a lot of times we'll be like, I should be able to do more. And you're, I'm like, your body is telling you that you can't. Yes. Yeah. A time to push and a time to fall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's all the questions for today. Fun. Yeah, so we're going to be doing these Q&A podcasts intermittently. Sporadically. We'll just put them out on Instagram. We'll ask. I put it on Facebook too and we'll just ask for questions. We'll gather some of these ones are great ones today. Everyone, thanks for asking questions. We yeah. really appreciate that. Um, if you do enjoy this podcast, ways you can help us and support our work, you can write a review and give us five stars or one star. I don't care. Give us an honest review on Spotify yeah. or Apple. You can subscribe to our newsletter on our website. And if you are interested at all in coaching, we do offer online coaching and programming. And if you are interested in that, you can apply through our website, which is www.5-elements.ca. Love that. Until next time. Delicious. Cheers. Bye.